Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to the CBS Evening News ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. It's harder to focus than ever these days. Thankfully, C4 has reinvented the energy drink game with C4 Smart Energy, the only energy drink clinically proven to provide enhanced mental focus, containing 200 milligram of natural caffeine, a blend of vitamins and zero sugar. It was formulated to support your well-being and help you feel your best, all while enhancing mental focus. From your brain to your body, C4 Smart Energy does it all, and tastes amazing. Look for Smart Energy in the beverage aisle at your local Kroger, Albertsons, and Safeway grocery stores. C4 Smart Energy. Stay focused. Tonight, just a day after the deadly bombing that rocked Kabul, a new warning on Afghanistan. More attacks are likely as the White House says the mission enters its most dangerous phase yet. New details from the attack that killed 13 U.S. service members. And as evacuation flights resume, how many Americans and eligible Afghans may be left behind? The president under fire. A top Republican says Biden faces a reckoning over the Afghanistan withdrawal and families of the fallen react to their unthinkable loss. Also tonight, mask bans struck down with COVID cases soaring in Florida. A judge says the governor overstepped and that schools can require students and teachers to wear masks. Tracking Ida, Louisiana faces a direct hit from a potentially catastrophic hurricane. Where is it heading and when? Evictions set to resume. A Supreme Court ruling means millions of renters could lose their homes. Breaking news, a California panel votes in favor of parole for the man who assassinated Senator Robert F. Kennedy. Wildfire danger. Homes are evacuated as the Caldor fire inches closer to Lake Tahoe. Hornet invasion. Crews destroyed the biggest murder hornet nest yet. How serious is the threat? And on the road, CBS's Steve Hartman with a woman who puts her whole self in to her favorite song. This is the CBS Evening News with Nora O'Donnell, reporting from the nation's capital. Good evening and thank you for joining us. Nora is off. I'm Tony DeCopel. And we begin with breaking developments in Afghanistan. President Biden's national security team has told him another attack is likely and the next few days could be the most dangerous of the evacuation. Tonight, we're also learning new details about the ISIS-K attack that took the lives of 13 American service members and at least 170 Afghans. The military now says there was only one suicide bomber, not two. Evacuation flights have resumed. More than 16,000 people were flown out in the last 36 hours. And several thousand more are inside the airport in Kabul awaiting flights out. 
But the mission there is set to end soon, and the U.S. military is still expected to complete its withdrawal in four days' time. And tonight, criticism of President Biden's handling of the crisis is growing louder. CBS's Charlie Daggett is monitoring developments in Qatar, but we begin tonight with CBS's Nancy Cordes at the White House. Nancy, good evening to you. Good evening. And one of the reasons that the risk for soldiers is growing tonight is because the U.S. military is moving into what's known as the retrograde phase of its evacuation mission, steadily reducing troop levels and equipment at Kabul's airport as it prepares to pull out altogether in four days. The mission there being performed is dangerous. President Biden got a sobering warning at a meeting in the Situation Room this morning. His top national security aides advised the president that another terror attack in Kabul is likely and that the next few days of this mission will be the most dangerous period to date. My heart goes out, our hearts go out to all those who we've lost. We are learning more about those we lost 11 Marines, one Army soldier and one Navy medic, 22-year-old Max Soviak of Sandusky, Ohio. On Instagram, his sister wrote, he was there to help people and now he is gone and my family will never be the same. 15 more service members who were wounded in the attack have been flown to Ramstein Air Base in Germany for treatment. People are upset because their senior leaders let them down. The casualties have prompted rare public criticism from some active duty troops. Marine Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Scheller was relieved of duty this afternoon after his Facebook post calling out commanders went viral. Did any of you throw your rank on the table and say, hey, it's a bad idea to evacuate Bagram Airfield, the strategic air base, before we evacuate everyone? Bagram Airfield was the largest U.S. base in Afghanistan and housed 5,000 prisoners, including ISIS terrorists. After the Americans left last month, the Taliban moved in and set the prisoners free. I would have checked and maintained the Bagram Air Force Base. Republican leader Kevin McCarthy slammed President Biden's Afghan strategy today. But minutes after he said the troops should have stayed, McCarthy seemed to reverse that stance. I don't think people are arguing about whether we should have left or not in Afghanistan. It's how. Yesterday's deadly attack has prompted a political firestorm here in Washington, with some Republicans even calling on President Biden to resign. The White House is brushing off those calls, saying that the focus right now should be on the brave U.S. men and women who are carrying out a risky evacuation that both sides say they support. Tony? Nancy Cordes for us at the White House. Nancy, thank you. At the request of the U.S. military, the Taliban moved the crowds further away from the airport gates. Several roads were closed because of the possibility of suicide bombers in vehicles and Afghan families lined up to identify victims of Thursday's attack. More now from CBS's Charlie Daggett. They came to Kabul's airport in the hope of escaping this violence. Instead, they fell victim to it. As the staggering death toll soared to at least 170 Afghan civilians, today it was revealed the attack was carried out by a single bomber believed to be wearing a 25-pound vest of explosives. We do not believe that there was a second explosion at or near uh, the Barron Hotel uh, than it was one suicide uh, bomber.
A suicide bomber claimed by ISIS-K, the Afghan branch of ISIS, blamed for the deaths of hundreds of Afghan civilians, most recently the suicide bombing in May of a school that left at least 90 dead, the majority schoolgirls. Vicious attacks well known to Haider Afsali, the former chairman of the Afghan Defense Committee. Now he's in hiding. How serious is the threat from ISIS now going forward? I think it is very serious. Uh, we must take them serious. And they, I think right now they have some capabilities to make challenges in some areas. Today, a lone Taliban fighter stood among the belongings of the victims of the attack at Abbey Gate, now closed, along with the main road to the airport. Still, desperate Afghans returned, hoping to get a seat on one of the last evacuation planes out. But with most European flights coming to an end today and U.S. flights stopping soon, the emergency exit is quickly slamming shut. A day ago, they were standing in line, hoping to escape. Now, their loved ones are praying they find peace. The remaining U.S. forces will begin to shift focus to their own withdrawal by August 31st, Tony. In the meantime, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki said there are approximately 500 U.S. citizens they're currently working with who want to leave. Charlie, thank you very much. Tonight, a dire forecast for the Gulf Coast. Hurricane Ida is picking up steam and could hit Louisiana as a major Category 4 hurricane on Sunday. A state of emergency has already been declared and evacuations are underway. Let's get more of the forecast now from CBS's Lonnie Quinn. All right, Tony, it looks like this storm sort of came out of nowhere, right? Well, in essence, it did. It's just that the intensification is taking place so rapidly. Right now, it's a Category 1. It's around the western tip of Cuba. But the story is where it's going and how much stronger this is going to get. Watch this. We believe it gets all the way up to a Cat 4 status, making landfall right now with highest probability somewhere around the Louisiana coastline with winds at 140 miles per hour. So why is it getting strong so quickly? I mean, we're talking just a matter of days or even hours in some cases because the water in the Gulf is so warm. As it pushes through, that water is 87 degrees. As it gets closer to shore, that water is up to 90 degrees. And really, a lot of times when they go through the water, they pull up the cold water from below. This column of water goes so deep, it's warm. We do not think it's going to lose its strength. We believe that intensification forecast is correct. Coming on shore, some of that blue shaded area, 125 mile per hour winds or stronger. Storm surge, 10 to 15 looks to be the worst anywhere on the right-hand side of the eyes where you'd get the worst situation. And the amount of rain you pick up anywhere from a foot I've seen even up to two feet. Let's say a foot to a foot and a half right now to be conservative. It's got all three elements of a big hurricane. It's got the wind. It's got the rain. It's got the surge. And that's the very latest. You've got to stay tuned if you're in that area because this is coming so quickly. Tomorrow would be your day to evacuate. Yeah, I know you'll keep an eye on it. Lonnie Quinforce, Lonnie, thank you very much. We turn now to the COVID pandemic. In a case that has gained national attention, a Florida judge ruled today that school districts can require students and teachers to wear masks. The ruling strikes down a ban on mask mandates that had been imposed by Florida's governor. Here's CBS's Manuel Bohorquez. More than half of Florida's 2.8 million public school students are in districts that defied the governor and required masks. A judge ruled those districts are within their rights. The law expressly permits school boards to adopt policies regarding the health care of students, such as a face mask mandate, even if a parent disagrees with that policy. Robin McCarthy, a plaintiff in the lawsuit, is relieved. Her six-year-old son, who has asthma, attends a Miami-Dade public school where masks are mandatory. He has a right to a safe education, 
And it's, you know, he can't help it. He has asthma and he has a right to be in school just like everybody else. The ruling comes as the CDC warns that COVID cases and hospitalizations among children are rising as kids return to the classroom. The agency urges all eligible students, teachers and staff to get vaccinated. And today it released this report of an outbreak at a Northern California elementary school back in May. A teacher, unvaccinated and unmasked, read aloud to the class. Not only did the teacher test positive, but so did 12 of the 22 students who were later tested, including all kids sitting in the front row. Six ended up showing symptoms. An organization representing children's hospitals across the nation sent this letter to President Biden, pleading for additional resources, saying that with high demand and staffing challenges, there may not be sufficient bed capacity or expert staff to care for children and families in need. Florida set yet another pandemic record for new COVID cases, with more than 27,000 in a single day. And the state reported the most new pediatric hospitalizations last week worrying parents like McCarthy. My biggest fear was that he was going to catch COVID from somebody not wearing a mask. Having him in school has been the most terrifying experience of my life. But the battle isn't over. The state vowed to appeal today's ruling in the hopes of following through on Governor Ron DeSantis's threat to withhold funding from districts with mask mandates. Tony? All right, we'll stay on it. Manny, thank you very much. The U.S. could see a wave of evictions now that the Supreme Court has rejected the Biden administration's moratorium. At least 11 million Americans have already fallen behind on their rent. CBS's Nikki Batiste reports now on this stressful time for tenants and landlords. I'm a little overwhelmed right now. Katie Owens is in shock after getting an eviction notice for her house in Brevard County, Florida. The single mother of two fell behind on rent when she got sick with COVID and missed work at her salon job. Do you have a plan B? No, I haven't got that far yet. Trying to save this one first. Now that the Supreme Court has rejected the CDC's moratorium, landlords can move forward on evictions. Janice Hollins feels caught in the middle. Four of her 21 renters in Bloomington, Illinois, owe money. We don't really want to put people out on the streets, and that's not going to bring in rent for us either. To prevent a wave of evictions, the Biden administration is pleading with state and local governments to distribute existing funds. This week, the Treasury Department revealed that only $5.1 billion of the more than $46 billion in rental assistance approved by Congress had been distributed to those who need it through the end of July. Right now, more than 3 million families are worried they could be evicted from their homes in the coming months. Evictions are profoundly traumatizing. Diane Yentel is with the National Low-Income Housing Coalition. What makes this moment so tragic and frustrating is that there are sufficient resources to help tenants pay the rent. A lifeline that may come too late. Just put yourself in our shoes. Like, we didn't ask for any of this. I didn't ask for COVID. New York has been among the states slow to distribute rental assistance, making tenants here especially worried about losing their homes. But the state's new governor says speeding up the system is a top priority. Tony? Nikki, thank you. Tonight, the man who assassinated Senator Robert F. Kennedy 53 years ago is a step closer to winning release from prison. A state panel in California has recommended parole for Sirhan Sirhan after two of Kennedy's own sons spoke in support of it. The full parole board and California's governor will have to sign off before Sirhan can be released. 
These are anxious times for women in Afghanistan, both for those who've grown up in a free society with education for all and those who remember darker days the last time the Taliban ruled. CBS's Holly Williams has their story and a warning. Some of these images are disturbing. The Taliban is already erasing women. These images defaced because it's against their ultra-conservative form of Islam. After seizing power in Kabul, their spokesman promised to respect women's rights. But in their strongholds, they've been lashing women for decades, punishment for un-Islamic behaviour and stoning them to death for adultery. The stoning and lashing is already happening. What they are saying is much different than what they are doing on the ground. Shukriya Barakzai is a politician who told us she was in Kabul when the Taliban took over and spoke to us over weak internet from an undisclosed location. She says she was lashed by the Taliban in 1999, the last time they controlled Afghanistan, for being on the street without a male relative. Now they're back and women have already been sent home from their jobs and universities. We cannot come together and talk and discuss because we don't want to be identified Meanwhile, we don't want to be a soft target in the hands of Taliban. There's a ton of people being left behind. Rebecca Merger served in Afghanistan and has helped raise $7 million and chartered flights to get around 4,000 Afghans out of Kabul, many of them women and girls. But like so many others, they can't get into the airport. I get emails every day um, of these women who are trying to get out. And yes, it is very frustrating. Holly Williams, CBS News, London. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Tonight, the city of South Lake Tahoe is under a state of emergency as the Caldor fire burns toward its doorstep. More than 450 homes have already been destroyed and thousands more are threatened. The region's air quality is now the worst in the country. And you could call it a major sting operation. Crews in Washington state destroyed the first murder hornet nest of the season. And it was a big one with almost 1,500 hornets inside. They're called murder hornets, by the way, because they prey on other bees, not us. Opinions vary when it comes to music. One person hears a symphony, another person hears noise. But CBS's Steve Hartman discovered a song that can get a whole neighborhood dancing. Here's tonight's On the Road. Although her dancing days are done, Phyllis Brinkerhoff of Prairie Village, Kansas, says she's not too old to appreciate a sick beat. In fact, Mrs. B, as she's known in the neighborhood, is obsessed with one dance song in particular. It's just a fun, joyous song. You put your right arm in. The hokey pokey. And you know how when you love a song, you want your friends to love it too? Well, that's why Mrs. B gave her neighbor, Melanie Mendries, a hokey pokey CD and started talking about the song constantly. I can see her name pop up on my phone, and I just thought, oh, it's the Hokey Pokey. 
Hi, this is Phyllis. Mrs. B left uh, dozens yeah, of messages. I really do need to talk to you. Urgently pleading her case. CD I gave you, are you hooked on it yet? And I just would always say, not quite yet. Melanie's reluctance baffled Mrs. B. You know, most people don't care really at all for the hokey pokey. Really? Really. I find that very amazing. Do you? <laughs> Still, she knew her crusade was all but lost. <sighs> then one day, Mrs. B happened to mention that her birthday was coming up, her 93rd. And when Melanie heard that, she decided to embrace what she'd been resisting. Or to put it in hokey pokey parlance, she put her whole self in. We made copies of the invitation, we rolled them in little scrolls, and we wrapped ribbons around them and traipsed up and down the street. You put your whole self in, you put your whole self out. It was a hokey pokey flash mob. Shake it all about. The smile on her face was so big. It doesn't take that much to make someone's day. And I think we could all do a little more of it. Because that's what it's all about. Steve Hartman, CBS News, on the road. Sunday on Face the Nation, Senator Lindsey Graham and former Deputy Director of National Intelligence, Sue Gordon. And that's the CBS Evening News on this Friday night. For Nora O'Donnell, I'm Tony DeCopel. Good night. If you like the CBS Evening News, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sant from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, early and ad-free on the 48 Hours Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts.